the word I have on my heart this morning is a message entitled Enduring Faith. Enduring Faith. So the last couple times I've shared the overall theme has been from fear to faith. We've been on a journey of dealing with the fear that we have as a result of the fall and going to faith because we are the righteousness of Christ and we are to live by faith and not by sight. And as long as fear is present in our lives, faith is absent. So I've just to recap briefly, the pathway from fear to faith is the love of God. We can't go from fear to faith without the love of God. We can't cast out fear by faith because it says in the word that perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of our heavenly father removes the space that is occupied by fear. And honestly, this, I am preaching to myself this morning because my whole entire life, I have wrestled with fear. Fear is a tormentor of God's people. This isn't something new. This isn't something uh, 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 just as a part of this generation that the enemy's doing. It's a part of the fall of man. But Jesus, by the work of the cross and his blood and his death and resurrection and ascension, has dealt with fear in our hearts. And we have access to freedom from this. Fear is a killer. It is a tormentor. Fear will cause us to forfeit living as sons and daughters. Fear will cause us to forfeit the call of God on our life. Look at Saul. King Saul is a prime example. Fear has the, the power Man, I know this is strong to even say this, but I even believe that fear has the power to cause us to deny Christ and ultimately secure our eternal destination in hell. I know that strong language. I don't say it to scare us. I don't say it to uh, 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 overwhelm us. I say it because I believe it's true in the word of God and I, I think that we need a sobriety. Because if we want to be all that God has called us to be, we have to deal with our fear. I want to read this verse in John. I wasn't going to go here, but I know, you know, when you make strong statements like, you know, fear has the power to send you to hell, it's like, well, where's the scripture for that, brother? So I want to, I want to read this just for the sake of the word of God. And, you know, so nobody thinks I'm making this stuff up. Because it's possible to believe in Jesus it's possible to believe the existence of Jesus, but not live a lifestyle after, after him. Listen to this verse. This is John 12, 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Romans 10 says that it's from the heart that we believe and from the mouth that we confess and are saved. Amen. It says that they believed in Jesus, but for fear of man, for fear of being put out of the synagogue, because they love the approval of man over the approval of God. It's powerful language. So we're on the journey from fear to faith. We need the perfect love of God to cast out the fear of our heart, to secure our heart in the language of Ephesians chapter 3, in the soil of God's love. Paul writes and he says, I pray I bow my knee before the, the, heaven, the Father in heaven by which every name is derived, that you would be rooted and grounded in the love of God that we are to be rooted and grounded in the soil of God's love. And in that place, we're able to walk in faith. In that, in that place, we're able to have confidence before God. Confidence in his person. Confidence in his character and his goodness. Confidence not only in who he is, but in his word and what he says. And not only confidence in his character and his nature, not only confidence in his word, that which he speaks, but confidence in his power. That he is able to accomplish all that he says he is able to accomplish. 
had a, a healing breakout this morning. I'm telling you, anytime that happens, the, the, my feeling uh, of doubt and cynicism that I feel of, oh, well, is that real? He's just saying that, making it up, whatever. Is God healer or not? Do we believe for healing? We believe for healing because we believe in a healer. We believe for revival because we believe in a reviver. We believe for reformation because we believe in a reformer. It's all in Him. We don't put faith in faith. We put faith in Jesus Christ where Hebrews 12 says He is the originator or the author and the perfecter of it. But saints, we have need for endurance in our faith. We have need to persevere and to have patience and to have an enduring faith. Will you turn with me? I guess you're already there in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to back up just a little bit. I know that we're probably all familiar, or many of us are familiar with chapter 11 of Hebrews, right? The hall of faith, the great accounts of those in the Old Testament who went before us and who, who faith, through faith, conquered many things, right? But if we back up just a little bit in the last part of chapter 10, and then jump forward to the beginning part of chapter 12, we're going to see something. And sometimes, I, you know, I love the chapter numbers and the verse numbers and the headings. It's helpful, right? But in the original manuscript, there's no chapters, there's no verses. So sometimes we miss the overall context by just reading the sections. And sometimes if we back up a little bit and sometimes if we just go a little bit farther in the word of God, the context of which the, the text that we're reading is in place the meaning will open up for us a lot. Clarity will come. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted, listen to this, listen to verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Everybody say confidence. Confidence. Our Father in heaven want us to be a people of confident faith. Gosh, can I be honest with you guys? This is crazy. I had a business meeting. This convicted me so much. I had a business meeting a couple weeks ago with a Jewish atheist. He, he stopped believing in God when he was a young boy and he was learning about the Holocaust. And my heart was broken for this man. Partly my heart was broken, obviously, because God is real. Jesus is real. But I, my heart was also broken for this man because he is a man of great wealth. And I believe his wealth was because he's a Jewish man. Because of the promises of God to the Jewish people. But what broke my heart, I think, more than any of that, was that I felt like this guy had more confidence that God didn't exist than that many Christians have that God does exist. I'm serious. I went away challenged. Like, this guy was like, you know, I know you're praying and hoping for me that, you know, one day I'll come to the light, but I'm just praying and hoping for you that, you know, one day you'll come to the light and realize there is no God. And we went back and forth. It was a good, healthy conversation. It wasn't full of animosity or bitterness or hatred, but I left this meeting like, my God, this man, this atheist is more confident in, in his thinking that God doesn't exist, then a lot of believers that I have experienced in my life believe that God does. I'm serious. It convicted my own heart and my own life. Like, why can't I, with more confidence, share my faith in Costco? Everybody makes fun of me because I mention Costco every time I preach. <laughs> I love Costco. I love Costco like Paul loves Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's true. 
you think you're going to run into run into me anywhere in Henderson County, there's a good chance you might run into me at Costco. No, but it's like, why don't I have the same level of confidence to share my faith wherever I go? This man was unashamed. This man was unashamed to essentially deny Christ and that Christ was God. Why, why, don't, why don't we, why don't I have a greater faith to essentially the world puts it in our face. The devil doesn't pull any punches. The devil's a sucker puncher. Why do we pull punches when we have the truth? If someone was stuck in a burning house, what would we do? Would we run in and, and try to pull them up by the collar of their shirt and drag them out of the house? Or be like, you know what, I don't know if they want help. I don't know, you know, it's... No, the house is burning down, brother. We, I'm not saying do it in harshness. I'm not saying do it in bitterness and a holier-than-thou mentality. But sometimes love is aggressive. Was the cross aggressive? Was the cross where it says that Jesus was marred beyond any human being? It says that Jesus in Isaiah, it says that he didn't even look like a human. He was unrecognizable. Is the cross the most extravagant expression of God's love? And yet the cross is aggressive because the penalty that had to be paid for our sin was immense. Sometimes love is aggressive. Sometimes the truth is aggressive. I'm, again, I'm not saying do it in harshness and criticalness and holier than thou, looking down on people, but a heart that's moved with compassion. I think part of the reason we don't do this is because we don't have a good enough revelation of hell. And I'm preaching to myself. I believe part of the reason we're not more bold with our faith not, is not only because we don't exalt Jesus high enough, and we don't see him for who he truly is, but that we don't have a, a, a depth of revelation of how bad hell really is. Where was I? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence for which has great reward. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. Everybody say endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So much for God always being pleased. Listen, I don't like preaching this stuff, and I don't even like reading it for myself sometimes because it's sometimes it's hard but the bible says but my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him i just submit that to you guys to chew on 39 this is us right so we chew on 38 but we take this for us and we press on but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul so this is the end of chapter 10 we say you have we read that the writer saying you have need of endurance because they've joyfully accepted the seizure of their property people are stealing from them people are robbing from them of their own possession they're somehow by the grace of God joyfully accepting it that that blows my mind I get mad at taxes which I guess is kind of the government stealing from you but <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble so the end of chapter 10, endurance, we have need for endurance that we wouldn't shrink back, but that we would persevere for the preserving of our soul. Now flip forward, if you will, to chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this is verse 1. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with what? endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for verse 3 for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not Grow weary and lose heart. Saints, we have need of endurance. 
The Lord spoke to me one time and said that we forfeit through apathy what we're called to apprehend through faith. The Lord spoke to me one time and said that we forfeit through apathy what we're called to apprehend through faith. There's a contending that the Lord is calling us to, but contending takes endurance. Contending takes fighting. Apathy, so we forfeit through apathy what we're called to apprehend through endurance, through faith. How does apathy come? Apathy comes through exhaustion, through the, through the mundane of life, through trials, through sufferings through pain, through hardships, through spiritual warfare wearing you down. Our own feelings of inadequacy, our own negative voice that tells us ourselves that we suck, we can't do it, it's impossible. Here's the deal. Here's, here's why we have to deal with our fear before walking in faith. is because a lot of time the very thing that God is calling us into are the very things we're afraid of. Let's keep going. I, I, I want to unpack this a little bit. I believe that there's five elements of faith, of enduring faith that the Lord gave me. There's, there's many more. This list could be unending. But I believe there's five things specifically that the Lord put on my heart for this, this morning. Number one is that an enduring faith is an active faith. We know from James that faith without works is dead. Honestly, if we hear a message like this and we're like I don't know what do I need endurance for it might be an indication that we're not actually living and walking by faith faith without works is dead faith and enduring faith is active we don't need endurance if we're not active if you don't go to the gym what do you need cardiovascular endurance for nothing you just sit down seriously it's the same thing in our walk with God. If we're not actively pursuing what God has for us, because there's opposition. There is warfare that comes against us. There is a battle of light and dark, and it, it will come to wear us down. So I want to just read this real quick so you know that, that faith, enduring faith is active. Just listen to this. This is all taken from Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. Abel offered a better sacrifice. Enoch walked with God. Noah prepared and built the ark. Abraham obeyed, went, sojourned, and offered Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob, as he was dying, blessed and worshipped. Joseph prophesied and gave instruction regarding his bones. Moses chose suffering, endured, kept Passover, and crossed the Red Sea. Joshua marched, and Rahab welcomed. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weaknesses, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experience mockings, scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Somebody say endurance. But does that faith sound active? All of those men and women of faith, what did they do? They received the word of God and the promises of God, and they acted on it. They acted on it. They moved in faith. And you know what it says about many of them? 
Listen to this. This is verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What in the world? So these men and women gave their lives to something in faith that they they actually didn't necessarily receive in this life? Yeah, because they realized they were citizens of heaven. They realized that they were aliens in this world, that this life is not all that there is to live for. So the first element of enduring faith, enduring faith is an active faith. Active. Will we act as though the thing that God said is so real to us that we'll put all bets on the table? Number two, an enduring faith is a contending faith. Okay, listen. That list of action that I, I read is great. We love to celebrate the, the active faith of Noah, of Abraham, of Sarah, of all these men and women. But I think sometimes we fail to think about and understand the stories and the context of their lives. So we're talking about enduring faith, right? And and an enduring faith is a contending faith. In the midst of the unseen, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of the impossible, in the midst of testing, in the midst of the illogical, in the midst of death, worldly pleasure, and persecution and suffering. That's the context for all of those men and women of faith. Can you imagine God telling you to build an ark and working on a boat for, some scholars think, 120 years? I mean, what kind of tools did he have back in the day? What kind of help did he have? Maybe he had help. Maybe he hired help. He's willing to spend it all on the bet that it's going to flood. Can you imagine going around telling your neighbors, hey, our house, is, there's a flood coming. The house is, everything's going to get destroyed. Can you imagine the security in God and the faith of God? It says that he saw what was unseen. See, faith is real seeing. So, Ben, how can you say that? Second Corinthians, Paul writes, we live by faith and not by sight. But in that context, he's talking about the temporal versus the eternal. He's talking about how we don't live by sight in terms of we don't see Jesus physically in our life with us right now, but we see him and we live by sight. But I'm telling you that real sight is walking by faith. See, the devil comes to deceive us and to trick us and think that it is more secure to live based on what we see in this life than than it is secure to live on the invisible, on God himself. And hey, listen, I know that that's like a crazy thing to say, but hey, listen, if everything that we see, where did it come from? It came from what was unseen. Everything God ever spoke into existence, it came from the invisible. This is by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. What if we have such a fit? Excuse me. (laughs) It's okay to laugh. My wife laughs at me all the time. What if we had such a faith that realized that it's actually more secure to live by what we see God doing in the scriptures, what we hear God saying, what we know God is leading us to. Listen, I'm not saying to live blindly. We don't just like live by our feelings. I'm going to go do this thing. No, it's like we have to have be founded in the person of God. We have to be found in the word of God, and we have to be found in the power of God. But it is more secure to live in what is unseen than what is seen. So Noah, in the midst and the face of the unseen, 120 years, I can't imagine that. Again, we have the stories. We know the story from beginning to the end. What about Abraham in the face of the unknown? God told him to go out from your relatives, leave your father's house, leave the land that you know, and go to a place I'll show you. He didn't show him right away. 
the unknown. Like, but this is what I'm saying. If we don't get over our fear, we can't walk in faith. Because how many times are we afraid of what we can't see? How many times are we afraid of the unknown? I, I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. I don't know when the healing's coming. I don't know when the job opportunity's coming. In the face of the unknown, in hopelessness, in Romans chapter 4, this is also Abraham, it says, in hope against hope, he believed. In hope against hope, he believed. It says that Abraham considered his body as good as dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet he didn't waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? See, there's a weird thing in the charismatic Pentecostal world where it's like we ignore the physical ailment or we ignore the situation, but yet we like have this weird faith of like, no, I'm, I'm healed. I'm, I'm good. It's like we try, like we try to, faith does not ignore reality. Faith does not ignore the condition. Faith does not ignore the diagnosis. I'm not saying it accepts it and, and, and presents itself hopelessness if this is my lot in life forever. I'm not saying that at all. But we see in Romans 4 here that Abraham considered the deadness of his body and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's double deadness. Somebody say double dead. He didn't ignore it. He, but he also didn't waver in unbelief and grew strong in faith. See, sometimes, sometimes we pray and ask God to increase our faith and give us more faith. And then he puts us in situations that requires us to trust him and to grow in that faith. And then we start complaining and groaning. And it's like, no, God's just giving us what we asked for. Because we can't grow in faith until we're put in circumstances that actually allow us to exercise faith. How do we grow in anything else? And, and that's what the Word of God says in Romans 4, that he grew in faith. Saints, can I tell you this morning? It is possible to grow in faith. It requires, and you know what? James chapter 1, what does it say? Count it all joy whenever you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Somebody say it. Endurance. So the very thing that produces the endurance and the enduring of our faith is the testing of it. We don't like tests. We don't, in, we don't like tests if we have not learned the lessons of the tests God has had for us. We do not like the tests of God unless we have tasted of its fruits. See, people are like, hey, don't pray dangerous prayers like, God, purify me. God, prune me. God, increase my faith. And it's like, oh, brother, that's a dangerous prayer. And it is, because God, the only way to grow you in all of those things, us in all those things, is to put us in situations to grow in purity, to grow in fruitfulness. And so what it, I mean, but, so we have to grow. So endurance comes by the testing of our faith. But what do we do in the testing? How do we respond to the testing? This, this speaks to the wilderness journey of when, when God delivers the Israelites from Israel. Jesus, it breaks my heart every time I think about it. And because, because it's my own heart and it's what I've done in my own life when God brings discipline, when God brings correction. But God delivers them from Egypt. They start complaining about the food, and then they're like, let's go back to Egypt. The very testimony God was trying to give them, because it says in Deuteronomy 8, that he brought them to the wilderness to test them to see what was in their heart, to humble them, that they might grow independence, to know that, that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But what did they do? God delivered them, and then they said, let's go back. See, here's the truth about the orphan heart. 
we would rather go back to bondage and live in slavery and be full by the pots of meat. That's what they said. Take us back to Egypt. God brought us out here to kill us. See, what we do in the testing is we have a tendency to turn our test and what was intended for us back on God and accuse him. And so the Israelites say, just take us back to, take us back to Israel by the pots of meat. At least we were full there. See, the orphan heart would rather live full in bondage and slavery than to be hungry in the presence of God. It said in, it said in the wilderness that they saw the glory of God. He led them in a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Trusting God in the testing. Abraham and Sarah contending. We're, that's where we're at right now. Contending. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It says that Abraham just credited that, you know, the, the way that he uh, 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 reconciled putting Isaac on the altar was like, oh, God will just raise him. Because God told him, I'm going to make a nation out of you. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And they didn't have any kids. What? I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. They didn't have any kids. And then when they, got, and then when they believed and they trusted and they walk in faith, and God gives them their child, by which it says that Isaac is the one that you know, he, the nations would come through, God says, kill your son sacrifice your son. And Abraham's like, okay, God will raise him from the dead. <laughs> Enduring faith, faith in the midst of the illogical. That doesn't make any sense. What about Joshua? Hey, march around, march around this fortified city one time for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. Does that sound like a good battle plan to you for conquering a fortified city? No, but God told him to do it. God said, this is the battle plan. Because a lot of times, faith is for us to realize that it's not us doing it. It's God doing it. Us living by faith is building a testimony of God's goodness and power in our lives. Otherwise, we could take credit for it all. If I could look at my life and say, I did all this, then I have reason to boast. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, right? So that no man has opportunity to boast. Some, sometimes God will ask us to do something that the world says is stupid. And sometimes when we live a life of faith because we're living not by which we see but by which we don't see, sometimes we look like idiots to the world. Like you did what? You gave how much money away? You move to where for what? You, the, what? What's there for you? You started what business? Sometimes the journey that God has us on isn't the journey we think we're going to be on. Sometimes God redirects us. And sometimes, you know, we have to deal with, like, the fear of man, right? What are people going to think if I do this? What are people going to think if I up and leave everything and go move to this place? What are, gonna pe what are people going to think if I give this much money away? It doesn't matter if God said do it. Because God's wisdom confounds the wise. God's wisdom is not the wisdom of this world. In the midst of death, a contending faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob, as he was dying, blessed and worshipped his, his sons. Why does that take faith? <laughs> because the promise of God was that he was going to have nations bow to him. The promise of God to Abraham was that nations would come through him and that he would be a blessing to other nations. And so when you're sitting there and you're dying and you have two sons in front of you and you bless them with the promise of God that was passed down, it's operating in faith. In the midst of worldly pleasure, can I tell you the allurement and the pull of the world in our age is so unbelievably strong, it's insane. Moses, in the midst of worldly pleasure, did not count those things as something to be worthy of giving his life to. But it says that he gave his life to Jesus as seeing him who was unseen. Denying 
This world's pleasure is walking by faith. Contending. An enduring faith is a contending faith. Guys, it doesn't look like perfection. I'm so encouraged by this because every single one of these men had their moments. And it says in this scripture, it says that it's not, it says that it's faith that pleases God. Actually, it says it is impossible to please God without faith. It's not about perfection. Moses killed a man. Noah got drunk after he got off the ark. Abraham had Ishmael. David and Bathsheba. Gideon struggled with doubt. God, this, guys, this is take courage. God is not asking us to do something that we can't do. He's asking us simply to be obedient. And so what, is, what are we contending for? What is it? What are we contending for in our life? We're contending for the more of God. We're contending for a move of God. We're contending for our families, for our children. If you don't think the devil's after your kids, man, I am please begging you to get your head out of the sand. We're contending for an outpouring of the Spirit. We're contending for healing. We're contending for our marriages. We're contending for the prodigals. But sometimes when we don't see something immediately, we give up on it. Because our world has trained us to live by instant gratification. We live in a society and a culture of, uh, of drive-through Christianity, microwavable, instantaneous gratification. And can I tell you what? Faith is a lot of times delayed gratification. Those men died not having received the promises. Because here's the truth is that faith is generational. <laughs> faith is generational. You see it in all those men blessing and praying for their sons. Now, your, your kids don't automatically get your faith, but you're contending that they would have their own. Amen? An enduring faith is a hearing faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. We must endure in our hearing. There are an infinite number of competing voices in our culture today. We struggle enough with our own insecurities and our own, our own stuff, right? Our own negative self-doubt, our own poor view of ourselves, the, the inner narrative that we all have, right? That has to get reprogrammed and retrained. But then we have social media, we have TV, we have all these things. We have the music, we have the culture telling us what to do, how to look, etc., but faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. They, all of those men had a word and so do we. The promises of God, the life in Christ. But it's it is possible to forfeit what God has called us to. And can I tell you, the illusion is, is it's about what season I'm in. When X, Y, and Z happens, then it'll be better. Can I tell you that the generation in the wilderness forfeited the promised land, and then the, the generation of the judges who grew up in the promised land also forfeited the promised land? It's an illusion to think that when the, it, it is about our hearts. It is about hearing the truth of God. It is about hearing the word of God. Number four, an enduring faith is a seeing faith. Let's go to Hebrews uh, 13. I've referenced this many times already, but we'll just read it. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Jump over to verse 27. This is about Moses. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Many times in our life, 
our faith wanes and wavers based on our circumstances. How much money's in the bank account? What people are saying, what people are doing. How bad our marriage is, which I have a great marriage, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right, amen. If I didn't, I shouldn't be up here, and that's real. Many times in our life, we live by what we see in the natural in our circumstances. I already talked about it, about the wilderness and the promised land. But we have to, see, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's uh, Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus didn't endure so that we don't have to. He endured because the Bible says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to, who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Therefore, come to the throne of grace and receive help in the time of need. So Jesus didn't endure so that we don't have to. He endured so that he can help us when we also need to. Amen? What about when the disciples are on the boat? This, this fascinates me. They, they're fall, they're, the context is this. This is Matthew chapter 8. They're following Jesus. The disciples are following Jesus. They get in a boat. Jesus is sleeping. And the storm starts raging. And the disciples start freaking out. And they start, they, they actually, in the different accounts, you can read them. But some of them say, like, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? Don't you know what's going on? But here's, here's, the, here's the more important piece, I think, of the whole context of this story. Is that sometimes following Jesus will lead us into storms. There are storms that come by nature of simply being a follower of Christ. There are also storms that come that are self-inflicted. That would, an example of that would be Jonah. He ran in disobedience from God and the storms came, right? But there are storms that come that happen by nature of just following Jesus, by just doing what he asks. But what happens when they come? Jesus invites Peter out onto the waves. He's walking on water. What happens? As soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he starts sinking. An enduring faith is a seeing faith. We must fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race with endurance and consider him who endured the cross. Lastly, this is number five, an enduring faith. I should probably go back just so you guys have them all. Five elements of enduring faith. An enduring faith is an active faith. It's a contending faith. It's a hearing faith. It's a seeing faith. And number five, an enduring faith is a fathering faith. We know in Ephesians chapter 2, again, I already quoted it, but that faith is a gift from God that we're saved by grace through faith. And scholars want to argue, it's like, well, is it the salvation that's the gift? Is it the grace that's the gift? Or it's the faith that's the gift? And it's like, hallelujah, brother, they're all a gift to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. But our, fifth, our faith is a gift from God. A contending faith is a fathering faith. And our faith is a gift from our Heavenly Father. But here's the truth about gifts. You can receive a gift and not, or you can be given a gift and not actually receive it. You can be given a blank check and not actually deposit it. You can be given a blank check, you can deposit it, but then never make withdrawals. What's my point? It goes back to the testing of our faith, the exercising of our faith. But we have a father that if we will submit our lives to him, he will help teach us to walk in faith. I stopped praying the prayer, God, give me more faith. Well, that's not true. I still pray that. I still pray it all the time. But my, my faith journey started changing when I started ask, asking God, teach me how to walk in greater faith. Because that speaks to relationship. He's with me. My faith isn't a magic wand to be waved to, you know, create a cheeseburger. 
If it was, you can tell what I would, I would do, a cheeseburger. I love food. No, I'm just kidding. No, but faith requires fathering, and we have a good father who wants to teach us to walk in it. See, good fathers give gifts to their kids, but the best fathers aren't, aren't excited about just giving the gift. They're excited about teaching them how to ride the bike. They're excited about getting on the play set with them. They're excited about teaching them how to hit the ball. They're excited to, to, to teach them how to throw, how to catch. They're excited to play the board game. The best fathers don't just give gifts. They're not just excited about the gift itself. Actually, some fathers believe that if they just give good things to their kids, then they're good. But actually what kids really want and what we all want, whether we realize it or not, is we want our fathers. The best fathers don't just give gifts to their kid. They give themselves to their kid. And that's what our father in heaven did for us. He gave us the gift of his son. So growing in faith is about fathering, and enduring faith is a fathering faith. Father, teach me. Father, grow me. Guys, I'm telling you, I am preaching to myself this morning. I am in the midst of some battles. And faith touches every single part of our life, our identities, our purpose, our destiny. Because what happens when we know we're a son of God, but we don't feel like it? What happens when we know that God loves us, but I don't feel like God loves me because I feel like a, a piece of crap? What happens when God asks me to do something, but I don't see how it's, how it's possible? Faith touches every facet of our life, from our identity, our purpose, our destiny, but it also touches every season, in the battles and the blessings, in the still waters and the storms. And I'm telling you, comfort kills faith. If we get to a place in our lives where we feel like we can live our life just on autopilot, we've stopped contending. We've stopped trusting. We've stopped depending. So I want to close with this. I know I've been all over the place, but I want to close with this. It's the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. We read it a couple times already, but this blows my mind. Would you guys stand with me? Faith allows us to participate in eternity. Faith allows us to participate in God's eternal plan for all of history and all of time. Listen to this. This is 1139. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Did you guys hear that? Did you guys hear what I just read? Listen, this is talking about everyone in chapter 11. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, that's us, that's you and me, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Guys, we have all of heaven's hosts behind us. We have a cloud of witnesses behind us saying, you can do it. You can endure. You can go on. You can go another step. And they're cheering us on because apart from us, they're not made perfect. I don't even really know fully what that means, but that's what the Bible says. And it should give us great comfort and give us the intensity of enduring because we know that we're participating in eternity. But it requires us to lay aside every encumbrance. I would just ask you to take these reflection questions home with you. What's encumbering you? What's burdening you? What's weighing you down? What is hanging over your head that you feel like is tormenting you and taunting you? What are the encumbrances? And then what is the sin which so easily entangles? And that's tough because it's not the sin. Because I don't think like pornography, that's not a sin that is going to easily entangle a lot of us. It's like, oh, I'm just easily doing this if we're walking in freedom, right? 
or substance abuse. I don't believe that's the sin that so easily entangles. Is it apathy? Is it indifference? Is it autopilot? Is it co- I don't know. We have to all ask this question of ourselves and seek the Lord. So, Father, we love you. We thank you that you have not called us to something and asked us to do something that you won't provide the grace and the power for. God, I pray that you would have faith arise in this place, God. I pray that you would help us to continue to fight the good fight of faith, God. That you would help us to continue to take captive every thought to make it obedient to you, Jesus. That we wouldn't look at the storms and the waves of life that want to come and to bury us and to drown us and to torment us, God, but that we would press on fixing our eyes on you lord that we would participate in heaven god i pray for every person in this room that is a bruised reed or a smoldering wick god that you would comfort them that you would help them that you would father them that you would encourage them according to your word father god would you make us a people of great faith that are contending for a mighty move of god in this region that we are not willing to just play church. That we're not willing to just have nice services, Lord. That we're not just willing to talk about healing without believing for it and seeing it, Lord. That we aren't willing to just talk about signs, wonders, and miracles, God, that we would believe for them and that we would continue to see them, God. God, make us a people of great faith, Lord. And if you have to bring whatever testing, if you have to bring whatever pruning, whatever discipline, whatever rebuke and correction that we need, Jesus, we say have your way because we want to participate in eternity. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.